and welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Arbitral Insights podcast series, our latest edition. And we've got a wonderful guest today. We have Dana McGraw. Hello, Dana. Hi, how are you? Very good. Great to see you. I've been looking forward to this podcast for a long, long time. And thank you ever so much for taking the time out to do this one with us. For those of you who don't know Dana, and I know many of you will know Dana, I'm I'm going to briefly introduce her. Um, I could literally um, speak for a number of minutes about her incredible, illustrious antecedents, but I'm going to try and keep it as brief as I can. So Dana is um, a very much in-demand international arbitrator. She uh, has her own arbitration practice called McGraw Arbitration, and she's also a member of Arbitra International. She serves as a sole arbitrator and as a co-arbitrator and as chair of arbitral tribunals. Before she began her practice as an independent arbitrator, Dana worked for many years uh, in private practice and in-house, and uh, including a time uh, involved in um, third-party funding and arbitration. So it gives Dana a lot of perspective here. She's incredibly well involved in a number of aspects of the arbitration world, and she's very committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and that's a topic that we're going to be exploring, Dana, in the course of this podcast. And uh, as well as that, she's a, a huge champion of racial equality in international arbitration and, and of course, equal representation. She speaks and writes on arbitration issues very regularly. And also, fun fact, uh, apart from speaking fluent English, she is also proficient in French, which uh, is taken not just from her studies, but from the fact that she lived in Paris for a year. So, Dana, I know I've condensed your incredibly, hugely illustrious background very briefly, but uh, I, I hope that's at least given our listeners a bit of an introduction into who you are. And, um, and, and it really is an honour to be doing this podcast with you. Let me ask you the first, the first question that I, ha- that I had for you, which is, how did law find you or how did you find law? So I was a legal assistant or paralegal at a law firm immediately after college or university. And I worked for the litigation group at a small boutique law firm as a paralegal. And I realized that I really loved the practice of law. I applied to law school. The firm convinced me to defer that a year and stay on as a paralegal one more year because we were taking a case to trial, which was super exciting. And I got a lot of interesting experience um, as a paralegal in the law and then, you know, went went to law school from there and uh, and the rest, you know, <laughs> and we could talk about. Well, it's worked Maybe out very well. Do paralegal work and choose not to pursue law. I'm one of those who did paralegal work and chose definitely to pursue law. Well, 
and we're all much better for that choice, Dana. I can tell you. <laughs> so, and is and you know, as is the world of international arbitration, and uh, you know, we'll dive into a bit of this now. So, in terms of your background before you became an arbitrator, it's incredibly rich and diverse. As I mentioned, you worked in house and you worked in private practice. So, when it came to you choosing to then focus as an arbitrator, what led you to want to have your independent arbitration practice? So it was sort of uh, an evolution since I've been an arbitration practitioner, which I focused on early in my, my career. So I started as a traditional U.S. trained litigator in the litigation department at, um, at Sullivan and Cromwell. Um, at some point, I, when I moved to O'Melveny, I was assigned to a large international arbitration matter um, just for the need of extra hands on the case. And uh, that case actually was extremely uh, involving and demanding. And so it was an opportunity for me to learn all sorts of facets of arbitration procedure, as well as sort of, you know, how you put on a substantive case in the context of arbitration. And then there were judicial award enforcement proceedings that I was also involved in. And through that case, I got sort of a crash course or a long crash course on international arbitration as an area of practice, and then decided that that was an area that I really enjoyed. Um, I was able to use some of my French language background for some of the research that I did and was able to do that for other cases going forward. And um, by you know mid-level, senior level associate, uh, I was fully specialized in international arbitration while still taking on some US litigation cases. Um, because typically for me in an international arbitration practice, most of what I would do would be international arbitration, but I always had a toe in the litigation world as well. Thank you. And, and then in terms of, in looking back at your your career to date, so both in terms of your time in practice and now as an independent arbitrator, tell us a little bit about a few of your mentors and inspirations along the way. Sure. So early in my career, when I I got that case that was so uh, informative and a a crash course education, um, that was a case uh, that I worked with Benno Kimmelman on. And so after that case, I worked with Benno Kimmelman on a number of cases because he was the chair of the arbitration practice group. So while I had not anticipated doing international arbitration as a career when I uh, when I started that first case, um, when I decided to specialize in it, you know, I got a lot of uh, mentorship and advice uh, from him, and we worked together a lot in that field. Um, there have also been a number of people that I know from the arbitration community that have been mentors or inspirations. And, you know, those, those words kind of sort of blend together. You know, people who you know from the community who you either worked with on a project, for example, Joe Newhouse at Sullivan and Cromwell, who I knew from Sullivan and Cromwell, but I hadn't worked with him. I then worked with him on bar committee projects and he chaired one of the uh, major city bar, New York City bar committees, the International Commercial Disputes committee. And um, so I had an opportunity to work with him on projects and a number of the members of, of those committees 
um, there's two committees in, in the New York City Bar that do a lot of arbitration work. So that's sort of a, a vehicle to meet uh, mentors and, and people who are inspiration. So Joe Newhouse is an example, but there's many more in that context, uh, especially because the New York and I think the global international arbitration community is so collegial and open to, uh, to including new members, which is something I, I champion and I try to, uh, to augment as much as possible. I'd also mention Lucy Reed, who was an incredible inspiration. I, I met her early on when she was with Freshfields in New York, and um, she gave very valuable, informal mentoring advice. I would see her at events, and she was always very accessible. And and you know, she's obviously had a, a very developed career since then, um, and and continues to be an inspiration. Um, Claudia Solomon is someone who I've known for decades and you know i think peer mentorship is just as important as people who are senior to you um and claudia is a, a wonderful lawyer and person and we've often discussed career paths and given each other advice and she's been very supportive and helpful and i hope i've done the same for her so um that that's an example I really hope that people take away that peer mentorship is really important um, at all stages. Um, it's not only people who are you know, senior to you or a generation senior to you that, that are mentors. It's, it's really everyone who's in your circle. Um, finally, I have to give a shout out, and we can maybe talk about this more later, to the co-founders of Arbitral Women, Mirez Philippe and Louise Barrington, with whom I worked very closely when I was with Arbitral Women. But we may get to that later. <laughs> we definitely will, because, you know, you've already set the scene very, very nicely on that, Dana, because we, we will be delving further into some aspects of diversity, equity and inclusion. And that's definitely something I want to cover in the course of that discussion. But I mean, it is fair to say, though, before we get into that, I mean, you are inspirational because you are you are you are one of that of not many prominent female arbitrators. And there was a, a post I saw uh, from you just yesterday about unicorns, about the unicorn book on female arbitrators, which I thought was was, you know, it's something that so many of us who who practice in this field, who live in this community know that we've come a long way, absolutely, in in terms of better gender representation, but we've still got a long way to go. And what you just mentioned there about, you know, the people you mentioned have all been huge mentors and, and inspirations. But I do want to let it be noted to our listeners that you, Dana, are an exceptionally uh, inspirational person yourself. And and I just wonder in terms of arbitral women, and, you know, we can talk about this now, what more can we all do? I mean, apart from giving pledges to ensure we consider more representation from the incredibly talented body of women lawyers out there what more can we all be doing including the institutions and you know the consumers of arbitration to ensure we better represent women in arbitrator appointments so i think that that is an issue that the arbitration community continues to grapple with on a daily basis at least for some of us I think the pledges are very well intended and the people who sign the pledge, whether it's a pledge for gender representation or uh, other diverse representation in the arbitration community, 
I think that they are people who are in principle committed to advancing diversity and, and racial equity in arbitration. But your question, what, what do you do uh, to sort of achieve your pledge or effectuate what you believe in and your goals? And, and that is, is not as easy to do as you might think, because as you pointed out, there's, there's not that wide a body of diverse arbitrators that are known to people. And I think that some of the recent initiatives, including this guide to women arbitrators, a global guide to women arbitrators that was released by Mute Off Thursdays at the end of 2022, that was a project that was led by Emma Vidak Friedman and Elena Gutierrez uh, for Mute Off Thursdays. They invested a tremendous amount of time and energy in collecting the CVs and bios and, and, you know, forms completed by, I think, close to 200 women and put together a huge compendium, uh, the inaugural edition, which will be updated from time to time to try to provide the arbitration market tool by which they can choose diverse arbitrators uh, to propose to clients or, you know, if they're in a just situation where they're appointing in-house counsel. You can also use the guide to make suggestions to counsel or have a dialogue. The, the burning question for everyone who wants to try to effectuate diversity is where are the diverse candidates? Where are the diverse arbitrators? Where are the diverse lead counsel? And these kinds of compendium or guides or collections of, uh, of names and CVs of those who are very well qualified and diverse, I think do a lot to broaden the pool of diverse arbitrators and experts and others uh, who serve in this field. So that is a relatively new phenomenon that in the last five years that there's been an effort to actually compile and make available lists of different different sectors of diverse uh, arbitrators and, and practitioners in the field. Thank you, Dana. I think, you know, that's such a, yeah, it's such an important development because, you know, I, I think raising awareness of these sorts of things is very important. And it's something we've got to keep at the front of the agenda all the time. It's not just something that we as a group should be doing from time to time. It should be all the time. And in amongst that, I think there's an even, you know, as vitally important that gender representation is as equal as possible. I also think in amongst that, there's also the ethnic diversity. So more female arbitrators of an ethnic background is also something that's a unicorn within a unicorn, so to speak. And uh, I think that's also something. So, so there are many strands to this. But um, no, no, your thoughts there are very, very valuable. Thank you very much, Dana. And I know something that's very close to your heart is nature and the great outdoors. So what are your thoughts about greener arbitration? I think that the campaign for greener arbitrations is a fabulous initiative. And I'm happy to be a part of the North American subcommittee and help uh, augment the visibility of the campaign here in North America. And I have always been a nature lover. I'm an urban dweller who needs sort of <laughs> to decompress in nature. And I think that many of us, uh, you know, really rejuvenate and enjoy nature. And, you know, we're all responsible 
for the planet and trying to uh, ensure that uh, we we maintain the health of the planet or restore the health of the planet in, in the ways that we can. And I think the campaign tries to make it more uh, tangible by having protocols that people can implement in the arbitration space to take steps to make their arbitration practice greener. Uh, so those protocols are available on the website. And then we did for Earth Day this year, a series of sort of fun videos uh, for some of us as part of the pledge. And um, I did mine from a botanic garden in my neighborhood uh, to try to share the beauty of nature, but also to contrast the fact that it was directly under the flight pattern into JFK. And so <laughs> the birds were accompanied by a loud roar of an airplane every 30 seconds. <laughs> just, There's the irony, yeah. <laughs> it is, but it was, um, so I think that that's a great initiative. I'm also really excited about just going back to the racial equality issue in arbitration, that the initiative, uh, real racial equality for arbitration lawyers and that was launched just a few years ago in the middle of pandemic um, by one of my uh, inspirations and you know pure mentors, uh, Reka Rangachari, together with Kabir Dugal and Karina Baltag. But I've worked a lot with Reka Rangachari on the board at Arbitral Women, and I know how much energy she put into that, and she put in just as much energy into real initiative, racial equality for arbitration lawyers, as did the other co-chairs. And so I think it's important to see the people who are launching these initiatives, how committed they are to changing the landscape of diversity and to, to the point that you mentioned that sort of the intersectionality of gender and race or gender and ethnicity, those are issues that are being explored by some of these newer groups, I think, um, including even the equal representation of experts, which is a, a very recent initiative launched in the last year. And, and then a shout out to Amanda Lee, who's, I think, quite uh, famous, infamous in the arbitration world for her initiative careers in arbitration, where she tries to make available and known um, opportunities for new joiners to the arbitration community. But also, I think importantly, she very recently launched what's called WIA Friday, Women in Arbitration Friday. And every Friday she posts on LinkedIn and maybe other platforms, but I think it's LinkedIn. That's where I've seen it. She posts announcements of achievements of women of all levels in our practice. So not just the senior, most renowned women who have been appointed to their latest you know, leadership role, but you know, younger, newer parts of our practice who are either their first internship in arbitration or their first role as an associate in the arbitration space or whatever their their appointment is, it, it, it really is such a broad spectrum and she really embraces the new generation, the, the entrance to this community. And I think to achieve diversity, we really need to embrace the new entrance to this community. And, and I commend her and I mean, she's also launched many other initiatives. We could spend a long time talking about that. But if you're looking for uh, women, you know, of all sectors, you know, as interns, as associates, or just to find who, who are the up and coming women, who are the future women, that's a great place to look too. So the compendium is one place to look for arbitrators, you know, the WA Friday, Arbitral Women's Database, 
the arbitration pledge. I mean, there's so many groups now that are vehicles to finding diverse arbitrators and diverse uh, members of the arbitration community, which I think collectively we should be proud of because none of these organizations would have had the success that they've had if everyone in the community didn't really rally behind them and, and support it. It's so true. And I'm so glad that you said all that because the people you've mentioned there are all people who've done so much. I mean, just to name, just to take three names, Mandy, Rekha and Kabir. I mean, if you were to take those three, just those three and what they've done, it's extraordinary. And it's, it's all about doing, it's just keeping the message going and helping each other and just moving things forward. I think things have come forward a long way since the early days when the world of arbitration was really like this sort of mystical world where everyone was just doing stuff and they, you know, it was all very much, you can't come into this inner circle type thing. Thank goodness it's all broken down now and it's a lot more inclusive and and, and everyone's helping each other more. Um, so no, no, that was very, very good to hear, Adena. Thank you. You know, there's one thing that I think goes unnoticed or is less noticed, and and that is the incredible amount of time and effort that happens behind the scenes for each of these kinds of organizations. So like from Arbitral Women, I met some truly inspirational, dedicated women when I was working on the board as president of Arbitral Women, one of which is your colleague, Rebecca Mascara. She took on an incredible heavy role. She actually took on two roles that had been staffed by two other people. And like she took both roles on and handled them all herself. And she was always available, always dedicated, always had a positive attitude. No matter what it was, she she achieved it and, and she did it with a smile. And it was a pleasure to work with her. I didn't really know her until the board, uh, experience working together and she was so inspiring and that's part of why she was given such a tremendous role on the board and there were others on the board too that I you know I was just so struck by the commitment of people who will sign up to be a part of these organizations the energy of Reka of Kabir of Mandy of Rebecca I mean these are these are people who really make a difference because they invest so much energy and it's really, you know, they really love what they're doing. You know, they're willing to go sleepless nights to, to make practice more diverse and to support individual members of the arbitration community who otherwise would perhaps be unknown or lesser known and really supporting each other in this space, I think is truly important. I agree. And one thing I, you know, I haven't told you this, but Rebecca, I'm blessed to be one of her mentors uh, here at Reed Smith. And she is absolutely phenomenal. You know, she is just, I mean, I could do a podcast just praising her for half an hour uh, because there's so much to praise, but she really is one of my most favorite people in the firm. And she's one of those up and coming superstars who are going to be incredible in years to come, as incredible as she is already. So let me just, as we come to the end of this session, because uh, we are, as always, coming to the end because I talk so much on these things. And, you know, let me just you know delve into some non-arbitration things, some non-law things. We've spoken a bit earlier in this podcast about your love of nature 
And so tell us a little bit about sort of things that you love to do uh, in your spare time. I mean, do you go hiking? Do you go to uh, parks? Do you go to other places where you can enjoy nature? I do as much as possible. I really love hiking. I'm not hiking Mount Everest or anything (laughs) truly challenging. Not yet anyway, Dana, not yet. (laughs) My hikes are called, you know, walks (laughs) in the nature, but I love, I love being outdoors. I love being in the woods. I love discovering nature areas. When I travel to an urban center and there's, you know, some aspect of nature that I can enjoy, for example, the ECA conference in Edinburgh, we had a group that did a nature hike. It was an amazing experience and we had views of Edinburgh that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And it was a truly bonding experience too, to do it with colleagues in the arbitration community. So I I try to get to parks and um, to rural areas, hiking, even in New York, there's so many places, you know, just an hour out of the city, you can go and, and discover, you know, aspects of New York that you didn't know were there. And I think that it's really helpful to people for just sort of life balance. You know, most of our arbitration work takes place in, in some fabulous cities that I love, but, you know, you need to balance it off, or I think it's helpful to balance it off with time in nature. Absolutely. No, so true. It's a bit of a reset, isn't it? And since I started being a full-time arbitrator, um, you know, I have a bit more control of my schedule, although that's starting to feel less and less um, as I as I get more and more appointments. But being able to actually carve out and do some of the things that when I was in big law, I just never got to do that much of because, you know, I was really working, you know, very, very long days, you know, seven days a week and juggling time zones. And my, I really admire everyone who's able to do that for, for a very long time. Um, and uh, I'm happy to say that I survived and I'm on the other end. And I, I'm happy that I did it, but I'm also happy that I'm on the other end and I'm now a full-time arbitrator and I really love doing that. But it's also really nice to be able to know that, you know, I have a little bit more space to carve out time for a park walk on a weekend than I did, you know, when I was in Big Law. So, yeah, so true. It's very important to carve that time out. And so I know, and you mentioned this about sort of you can go a mile, um, an, an hour out of New York and do stuff. And arbitrations do often happen in some very nice places around the world. But is there one particular place outside of the US that you've particularly enjoyed traveling and you enjoy going back to or would love to go back to sometime soon? I really love Paris. I know that's a city and not a rural area. There are beautiful parks in Paris, um, but Paris is one of the cities that I love. Um, there are many European cities that I think are beautiful and I love, but there's not necessarily places that I go back to regularly. I really am interested in exploring and finding new places. I really loved going to Edinburgh for the first time uh, for ICA and look forward to, to going to some places I haven't been. but. Paris will always have a special place in my heart. And understandably so, because you did live there for at least a year. So, uh, and, and you speak French. So, but Dana, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to do this podcast with you. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to do it. I look forward to meeting you in person very, very soon. And thank you for being the inspirational person you are.
Well, thank you for including me. This has been really a pleasure for me and I look forward to seeing you in person too soon. Thank you. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.